Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Well, it is the one-month mark of the college basketball season for the men and the women. And on this podcast, we're going to look at the one-month mark in a variety of ways. I mean, first off, the number one team in the country at this point, one month into the season, hails from West Lafayette, Indiana, the Purdue Boilermakers. They clinched their first ever Number one ranking in the Associated Press Top 25 poll, which is really remarkable, with a win on Friday night against Iowa. So, after the game, and I was there, uh, I caught up with Travion Williams, who I would argue has maybe done one of the more unselfish things that we've seen so far in the first month, which is he didn't fight being a reserve. He could start on pretty much any, every team in the country. Uh, but He's a better finisher than starter. And so Zach Eady, the big seven-plus footer, 7'4", seven uh, was fine. Uh, you know, has been playing well. And Matt Painter basically indicated that he was better as a starter. Trevion Williams is a reserve. So there was no one better, I thought, on that team to talk to about what this means for Purdue basketball to be number one in the country for the first time ever. Now, of course, it is just December. You've got to build off that. Then, as I look at the first month of the season, you know, one of the best moments was having Dick Vitale, a former colleague of mine at ESPN, and the voice of college basketball over the last 40 years, back behind the mic. Obviously, if you follow the game, you know that Dick is battling cancer, something that he has spent every waking hour helping to fight pediatric cancer, raising tens of millions of dollars for the cause of his annual gala and beyond that he has every May. He's just done unbelievable work in that field to help children, their families, and researchers and doctors through the V Foundation. And so now it is everyone else's turn to lift Dick up as he battles it. And I saw him before his first game back when he was paired up with Dave O'Brien for the UCLA-Gonzaga game in Las Vegas. He teared up. It was incredibly emotional. He worked with Boone Shambi down in Orlando, and then his last game prior to this podcast was the North Carolina-Michigan game, and he worked with Bob Wischusen, who you're going to hear from. And Bob has worked with Dick for quite some time. Uh, so I want to talk to Bob about what it's like to work with Dick and what this all means uh, to have him back behind the mic as he alternates basically as chemotherapy and broadcast. So that was certainly one of the things from the first month of the season. My cap ranks on this podcast deals with the top 10, you could argue, most surprising teams. I'll tease there that uh, I think a number of these teams are going to be in the NCAA tournament. They have far exceeded their expectations so far. So that'll be in the cap's ranks. Top three players from the freshman class in the first month of the season? Well, the first two names, of course, Paolo Boncaro from Duke. He's been phenomenal. Chet Holmgren's had his moments from Gonzaga. But arguably, the one player who didn't get the preseason hype but certainly deserves it because he may end up being number one is Jabari Smith from Auburn. Enjoyed my conversation with Jabari. You will hear from him on this podcast as well. And then here in the last week, I think this is maybe the win of the month, and that's Alabama knocking off Gonzaga in Seattle. So to me, that was maybe the win of the month. And it just happened 
on Saturday night in the Battle for Seattle. So James Shackelford from Alabama will join me here on the podcast. He was our National Player of the Week in March Madness uh, for the previous week prior to this podcast. So you've got sort of the moment. You've got maybe one of the players of the month, the win of the month, the team of the month, and the surprise teams of this past month. So that is our theme going throughout this podcast uh, as we will slowly pick back up and bring it to you a little bit more frequently. But for this past month, we wanted to address that of some of the moments. The first net did come out uh, right before our taping, and Purdue was one. And remember, this is just a metric, a sorting tool that the selection committee uses, taking all the different data points together, really stressing results. Everyone starts at zero, zero and where games are, and it really factors in offensive and defensive efficiency. And it helps break up games into quad one, quad two, quad three, quad four games. And you get more points, for lack of a better term, by winning road neutral games. And that's why a team hypothetically, well, not hypothetically, a team like Wyoming was a top 15 net team because they won three true road games. USC has won multiple road games. They're a top 10 team in the net, undefeated. Arizona is one away from home. LSU's one away from home. Alabama, obviously with that big win. So that's why we're seeing a lot of these schools in the top 15 because of what they've done to this point. And it'll all even out. It always does. There's some outliers. Oh, I don't know if Wyoming necessarily is going to be an outlier. They could be a team that finishes in the top two or three in the Mountain West and challenges Colorado State. We'll wait and see. They're certainly more than capable of doing it. So, still a lot to obviously unpack. Uh, I would I'd just say that the, the games we had early with packed fans, that's what college basketball is about. That's what we missed last season. Crowds were unbelievable in Las Vegas. The crowds at the Gavit games, especially at the Sintas Center for the Xavier Ohio State game, Indiana for St. John's, Indiana, Carolina for the Big Ten East Challenge game against Michigan. Great crowds. That's what we miss. And we've got it. We've got it in conference play as it all starts to tip off in the month of December. And I think we'll continue it with some of the non-conference games still to come. And certainly in that Big 12 SEC challenge, it'll come in late January. I just hope that this trend continues of having teams play true home and homes in the non-conference. Mick Cronin and I talked about this. Hey, Coach UCLA. As we speak, they're going to go to Marquette later in the week. Um, this is what the sport needs. Home and homes, high-profile teams challenging themselves in the non-conference. That's what makes the sport so good, so competitive, and entertaining as we lead up, obviously, to the greatest postseason of any sport in America, which, of course, is March Madness. All right, so I hope you enjoy the discussion that will continue here. And first up here on March Madness 365, Purdue's Travion Williams. Well, Travion, what was it like to play with the pressure? Because you know it's there, that if you win, you become the number one team in the country on Monday. Um, and I think everybody was was psyched that after the game Tuesday, man, uh, just looking ahead, um, you know, guys were looking forward to this game. You know, we, they told us it would be a blackout. You know, we had 
all the nerves, man, going to this game was crazy. Um, you know, but you know, we got it done and you know, we're happy about it. But obviously, you know, potentially being number one, man, we don't want to settle for that. You know, we want we want to be number one, but we want to stay number one. We talked in the summer. I mean, it feels like the perfect storm. You came back, Zach, Jaden, Caleb had great summers with international basketball. Sasha came back. Um, when you looked at what the season could become, and I know it's way early, uh, what did you anticipate that the season could look like? Uh, man, I just I just followed my gut, man. Uh, my gut never steers me wrong. While going through the, the process, the draft process, man, I, I had to come to a realization and, you know, say we can be very special, man. And uh, we had an unfinished business. And that was in my mind the whole summer, you know, while, you know, trying to prepare for that, for the draft or whatever. But, uh, man, I, I just knew we had something special, man. And, you know, once my, my gut tells me, man, I, I just go with it. So the the loss to North Texas stuck with you? Yeah, man. Uh, we, we watched film on that game, uh, I want to say, all summer. That was our motivation. You know, I told the guys, man, you know, I'm going to come back and we're, we're going to be special. You know, we, we promised ourselves, man, we would never want to feel like that again. Um, you know, that was that was very heartbreaking for us. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of people expect us to win that game. Um, but sometimes things just just don't go your way. And, uh, you know, luckily, with all with everybody coming back, got Sasha coming back, Jaden, all those guys coming from USA, um, you get another crack at it, man. And, you know, this last time we're going we're gonna to make a count. You know, two other quick things. First of all, I asked Coach Painter about what was the meeting like when he said, you know what, Travion's going to come off the bench. He said, there was no meeting because, you know, you start sometimes a little slow, but you finish strong. And that's a sign of a leader that you had no qualms that you might not start. How did you handle that? Uh, man, I, I, I can care less about starting, man. Um, you know, a lot of guys look at it like, oh, he's taking my minutes, whatever it is. Um, but with me, man, I just I just want Purdue to win. Um, you know, that's my main focus, you know, because in reality, if we if we continue to win, you know, everybody will get looked at. And, you know, that that's how you got to approach um, the season, you know, approach uh, interacting with your teammates, man. And uh, we've, we've just built so much chemistry off the court that it doesn't matter who's out there. You know, anybody can play. We have two starting lineups, if you ask me. So, man, I'm just excited about our guys, excited about our team. And, man, I, I believe in them more than anybody on the staff. So. And did the comeback win against Villanova tell you that I got something special here that I'm a part of? Definitely, man. Just I never had a doubt about our team. You know, I always believed in us. And, man, I'm, I'm just excited for, you know, for what's to come. And we, we built so much already, and we want to continue to keep building. So. And you got one of the best home courts in the country at Mackey. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Appreciate you, Travion. Thank you. Thank you. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Bob Ushusen from ESPN and the voice of the Jets. Bob, one of the best things of the first month of the season is seeing Dick Vitale, our mutual friend, back broadcasting games as he's basically intermittently doing that with cancer treatments. You had the pleasure of being next to him for the North Carolina game where the fans really got a chance to give him that adulation. I saw him, I guess, the week before in Las Vegas where they gave him a standing ovation his first game back when it was UCLA Gonzaga, but it felt even more intimate for that Carolina-Michigan game because, you know, it was just it was back in his old stomping grounds in the ACC. What was it like, because you've done so many games with him, to be with him in that scenario? It's amazing. You know, he really is genuinely touched, I know, by all of the prayers and good thoughts and fan reaction, the signs that people bring. I mean, I think he really is genuinely understanding now, you know, what he means to the sport and what he means to the fans of the sport. And I think people understand he's the genuine article. He is exactly what you think he would be. Never forgot where he came from. And, um, 
He spent all these years fighting this disease on behalf of children specifically, and now he's going through it himself. His best drug, regardless of whatever medicine they can give him to cure the cancer, is to be out doing this because this is what he loves the most. But it really is amazing to be, you know, next to him, literally elbow to elbow, and see the look on his face when he either looks at the monitor or looks around the arena and sees what you're talking about. You know that that the fans are just genuinely showing how much he means to them and how much he means to the sport. So, uh, and I've done countless games with him. You've obviously done more games with him where you've been right next to him. It's his drug, and you can see the way you know the fans, as you say, react to him and him react to the fans. Over the years, the decades that you've done it, what what do you think he has meant to the game? Yeah, it's, I, I don't even know how you could quantify it, right? Like the, if you were to ask someone to come up with like a word cloud for college basketball, I'm sure there'd be like Duke, North Carolina, Indiana, Kentucky. In that word cloud, probably on the same size or, you know, font of like the blue blood teams you've grown up watching, with, and that, maybe next to Mike Krzyzewski, would be Dick Vitale. I mean, he's a pillar of the sport. The popularity of the sport has been largely built on not just the great teams and the great coaches, but now the television over the last 40 or 50 years has become so prominent a part of the sport. What person in terms of delivering this product to the fans around the country has been more prominent or recognizable than Dick? So he's on equal footing with the great programs, the great coaches, the great players in terms of his influence and, and how he has brought the sport home to fans and made it fun. I mean, that, that's what this is supposed to be. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the seriousness of sports. We have things like life and death battles with people on sports radio and whatnot. And you are never doing a game with Dick where it's not fun. I mean, he just, he brings the fun, I think, to the sport. And, and to me, that, that's what fans wrap their arms around. The other thing, Bob, is that, you know, he's very open and, you know, he's making it clear that he wants to share what he's going through all the time on social media so people fully grasp what it's like to go through it. When I think, you know, a lot of people obviously wouldn't do that. A lot of people are very private about when they've gone through uh, chemotherapy and things like that. But this seems so dick, you know, just to say, like, this is what it is. And I'm going to tell you everything. You know, uh, he's just going to always just talk and just share. Um, you know, what's your reaction to the way he's basically just been so open about everything? I've talked to him about it. And I think what he wants is for people to understand that, A, this can hit anyone, that it can be even in what he's going through, which I think he would describe as difficult, is still minor compared to a lot of what kids have gone through that he has been trying to raise money for all these years. Like that's his primary motivation, his primary focus, that you may not know, you know, that the, the seven-year-old that is kind of like a, just a kid's face on social media, but you know him and just understand that every day there are hundreds of thousands of people around the country going through this. And a lot of them are kids. And that to me, that that's what he's trying to bring home. He's trying to bring home the idea that this is hard. and his ultimate motivation is trying to raise as much money as possible by bringing as much of a spotlight and a focus onto this to try and help the V foundation help kids out. And, um, you know, that I've talked to him about it. That's absolutely, you know, the, the number one reason why he's trying to say to everyone, Hey, you know, like this, I'm, I'm going to be out there doing work and you're going to see me on television, but just so you know, for me to be on television, I'm going through this 
And this is, I'm not getting operated on, right? Like this is chemotherapy, which is hard and it's knocking them out. But I think it's got like a 90% success rate to deal with his form of cancer that didn't get into his bile ducts, that didn't spread to his organs. Now imagine being a child and having this cancer metastasize and all of a sudden now it's like in your brain. And now you're eight years old and you have to live in a hospital. And, you know, I, it's just, it's, it's the closest thing he can do to try and bring home to people what the kids are going through. You have to strike that balance. You have to broadcast a game. At the same time, you want to give him his space to express what he's going through. But also, I know he knows that he has to do that balance as well and not make it just about him. How do you navigate that? He's been good with that his whole, you know, career. We always carve out like a 30 to 60 second moment coming out of a break in a game for him to put up on TV, hey, the cars were raffling off to try and raise money. The book I've written, all the money goes to the V Foundation, the gala that he holds every spring. And if you want to come hobnob with some of the biggest names, not only in college basketball, but sometimes in sports, um, they'll be at his gala. Every Literally every dime that gets raised goes to the V Foundation to raise money for kids. So. As long as we know that what is always the foundation or the motivation behind anything that he's doing in that regard is trying to raise money to beat pediatric cancer, there's never going to be a time, I think, where someone's going to, at the end of a game, be like, wait, you guys gave too much time in that game to raise money for pediatric cancer and didn't talk enough about, you know, like somebody's two, three zone. You know, I, I think he's always been able to strike that balance. We always try and find a time in the game to address what is outside of basketball, his number one motivation in life. Related to him, I think you would agree since you do so many different sports that fans in the stands with college basketball makes a world of difference. Being on site, I was at the Purdue game last week uh, against Iowa and, and, and Mackey Arena where you've been, it's just, it doesn't compare to an empty yep. version. What's it been like to be back doing games with fans? Yeah, it's everything that we always, I don't want to say took for granted, because you know, when you're in a great atmosphere at a sports event, you realize, you know, you're looking around like this crowd is electric and you don't, it's not that you're not appreciative of that, but that appreciation for it is magnified a hundred times over when you do what we did last year. I mean, I called an entire college football season from a TV studio where even if there were, say, friends and family, or maybe they allowed 10% of the fans there, and there were a few thousand people, and the people in our you know, audio department would jack up whatever crowd noise was there in our ears just so we'd hear something. Even when we went to commercial, all of a sudden we looked at each other and we're like in a soundproof room and there's nothing in our ears and everything was just gone. Um, so calling a, a season of college basketball for my basement, I'll never take it for granted again. I mean, it's just, you know, not just the, the selfish point of how much easier it is for you to do your job. I'm sure being there and being able after a game to look someone who you're interviewing in the eye and actually like, you know, have a normal conversation to me, my eyes being able to go where they need to go to follow the ball, to follow the action. And sometimes the thing that is most important isn't necessarily the thing that we're putting on TV. And you sometimes hear the play-by-play guys say, well, you know, there's a foul over here or, is there, you know, something behind the play or, you know, so that makes my life a lot easier. But at the same time, the most important thing in terms of delivering this product to the people that care about it the most is that they get to be there. And, you know, I, I can't imagine that the fans don't feel the same thing, right? I mean, watching a game on TV 
and seeing nothing but an ocean of empty bleachers in the background, as opposed to now, you know, the crowd noise reacting to a big play. I mean, it makes sports. It's, you know, it's literally the blood that pumps through the veins of sports, the fans being there. Well, Bob, I appreciate you doing a wonderful job. Uh, Just travel safe as you transition uh, into more hoops and uh, out of football here in the coming weeks. Thanks, Andy. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, time for Katz Ranks here on March Madness. My top 10 surprise teams one month into the season. At number one, Iowa State. Cyclones picked toward the bottom of the Big 12, undefeated, knocked off Memphis to win the NIT in Brooklyn, beat Creighton, TJ Otzelberger doing a great job. At number two, and you can put them at one, but I got them at two right now, Arizona. Tommy Lloyd doing a sensational job, undefeated, crushed Michigan and Las Vegas. The Wildcats looked like a tournament lock one month into the season. At number three, Wisconsin. Weren't sure how good they were going to be. Rebuilding year, so we thought. Johnny Davis has been first team all Big Ten. Lost Providence without him. With him, they're undefeated. Won the relocated Maui, beat George Tech in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, beat Marquette, the Badgers, playing very well. At number four, Iowa staying in the Big Ten. Keegan Murray, star. We didn't see that being maybe, we didn't see him being this good this early in the season. I was wrong. A lot of people were wrong. Keegan Murray's a star. And this Iowa team, they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. They can score. They can defend. Even without Luke Garza, Joe Camp, the Hawkeyes, keep an eye on them. At number five, Minnesota. They're supposed to be the worst team in the Big Ten. Undefeated under first-year head coach Ben Johnson. Won a tournament in Asheville. Then won at Mississippi State. Pretty significant for Minnesota to be undefeated at this point in a team that they sort of cobbled together over the offseason. Number six, another team undefeated we didn't expect. San Francisco. Started the season 9-0. The Dons. Todd Golden doing a great job in the WCC. Number seven, Dayton. Maybe one of the most surprising teams within the season. Lost three bad games. Turned around. Won the Orlando tournament by beating Kansas in the semifinals on a buzzer beater. Number eight, Wake Forest. Head coach Steve Forbes doing a great job down there. Just knocked off Virginia Tech last week to get off to a great start in the ACC. Beat a pretty good Northwestern team. This Wake Forest team, much better than projected. At number nine, Cincinnati. I saw them in person. Wes Miller doing a great job getting this team to play hard. They knocked off Illinois with Kofi Coburn in his first game. This Bearcat team could be trouble in the American. And at number 10, out of nowhere, Wyoming. Started the season undefeated, did win at Washington. And we know the Huskies have been struggling, but still, the Cowboys are going to be a factor in the Mountain West Conference in some form. Keep an eye out for Wyoming. So, those are my top 10 surprise teams one month into the season. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Jabari Smith from Auburn. And As I looked at the first month of the season and said, okay, give me one player who has maybe exceeded expectations, potentially been, I know we're not there yet, but a top three NBA draft pick and has been one of the best players in college basketball. I said, it's got to be Jabari Smith from Auburn. So Jabari. First, what were your expectations here, at least at the beginning of your freshman season? Um, at the beginning, I knew it would be kind of challenging for me, just like first getting on campus and adjusting to less the physicality of the college game. But um, I feel like I'm adjusting well, and I feel like every game I learn something new. I figure out new things. So I just feel like the gradual uh, progression of me getting better has been good. 
just learn just to let the game come to you a little bit. And I've also learned being here that defense is a big part of my game. So just picking up my defense and letting that uh, carry on to the offense, man, has been, been helpful. You know, you come from a basketball family. You know, what'd you learn the most from your dad? I would just say the approach to the game, you know, just to always have fun with it and always never take it for granted because it, it goes quick. So just always caring about winning and always playing the right way. That's what I take the most. How'd you deal with expectations? I mean, because he was a player, obviously a very successful one. Yeah. Um, I try not to think about it too much. Just, um, like I said, just enjoying the game and living in the moment, really. Just always playing the game the right way and always having fun with the expectations to take care of themselves. How hard is it to create your own identity? I feel like it hasn't been too hard. I feel like just being my own man, knowing that I had the same name as him, just trying to not necessarily build my own identity, but just build on it, if that makes sense. And um, I feel like I have built, built my own identity, and people know me. All right, so a dunk, a fast break, a three. What ultimately do you enjoy the most? Um, I would have to say winning. I wouldn't, I wouldn't care about the highlights and stuff like that. I would just probably say winning is the most fun part and just, just the grinding about the game, you know, like the physicality and just the chippiness and all of that. That's the most fun part to me. All right, so what do you think of your peers so far? Paulo Boncaro from Duke and Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga, guys that I'm sure you've played against or with over the last couple of years. What have you thought so far? Um, I feel like they're having good years. Um, I feel like they both made the right decision on the program to attend. They both... Both programs fit their play style, and they're showing what I already knew, that they're real good. Me playing against them just kind of helped me get a little test to see where I'm at, and I feel like I match up good with those with those guys who um, who I feel like we we put together the best draft class in a long time. So Yeah, we're not there yet, but before you get there, hopefully you're going to be playing in this one right here, March Madness. That, that, um, that's the goal. That's my dream since yeah. I was a baby. So, so you got a couple months till then. Uh, Auburn obviously couldn't play last season. They can this season. For this Auburn team and for you to continue success in December into the SEC and to make sure you're in March Madness, what do you guys have to do? Just keep doing what we're doing. Keep getting better. Um, keep getting better game by game. Just always stand together. I feel like that's our biggest attribute, how together we are, no matter if we're playing bad or good. Everybody's always lifting each other up. And I feel like that's going to um, come a long way because you're not always going to be playing good. You're not always going to be at home um, in front of your fans. So it's always going to be good to just always stay together and just keep that bond, and that's going to help. Uh, when we get late in the season. All right, one last thing. Life has changed since your father played. We got NIL now in the last couple of months. You're not there yet, but a month in, how much are you enjoying the fact that you're a college basketball player? And, and it's not for everybody, for you, rather than doing, you know, G League or overtime or anything else. Um, I feel like I'm enjoying it, enjoying it a lot. You know, just going to football games, just enjoying the college experience um, with your teammates, um, having your family come to the games. I'm taking it all in. The good and bad, college has turned you into a man, I feel like. So I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it. I, um, I won't want to be nowhere else. Well, Jabari, we look forward to even more from you this season, uh, certainly uh, throughout the course of the December and into the SEC and hopefully in the NCAA tournament. Thanks, Jabari. Thank you. And now joining me here in March Madness, March Madness 365, Jaden Shackelford from Alabama, our National Player of the Week after dropping 28. On the Zags in the battle for Seattle, and he's wearing the swag as we are talking here. Uh, Jaden, uh, let's first go over the overall performance that you and Alabama had in this game. Explain to me why you guys were able to be so effective against the Zags. Um, I feel like just our preparation, you know, we knew they had the number one offense in the country going into the game. So it was just a mindset, you know, throughout the week, you know, preparing on defense. We knew we were going to have to go out there front court and back court because, you know, they're talented all around. 
So I feel like, you know, just, just staying together in that hostile environment was big for us. And I feel like we came out with the win. It's always very hard for teams, especially from the Eastern time zone, Southeast, Northeast, to go all the way to the West Coast and get a W. How was that prep for a game like this? I mean, we got out there on Thursday, a day before we usually would leave for an away game like this. So I feel like that was good for us, you know, preparation-wise. But, you know, we kind of just kind of tried to not let it, let it affect us as much and, you know, just kind of focus on the game. So obviously it has some type of effect, you know, with us being two hours ahead here over the West Coast. But, you know, we got there a day earlier than usual. So I feel like that helped us. So I will admit, you know, I, I was unsure about this Alabama team after Orlando. Mm-hmm. And we all make this mistake. I'll be the first to admit it. I make the mistake sometimes when you snapshot a team too early, one game. Yeah. You didn't get a chance to play Kansas. Kansas didn't get a chance to play you guys either because they lost to right. Dayton. So, you you know, they played Iona. You lost to Iona. After that tournament, talk me through what was the reset with this group about what you knew was ahead with this Gonzaga game and beyond. I know you got Memphis coming up, the SEC, and so on. Yeah, we knew we were going to have a tough little three-game stretch coming ahead with Gonzaga, Houston, and Memphis. And, you know, we kind of put the eye on the game behind us on the back burners. And, you know, we played a really good half of basketball the second half against Miami. And, you know, we kind of just wanted to build on that. That was probably our best half of basketball we played all year, uh, the second half against Miami. So we kind of just wanted to build off of that, you know, going into the practice before uh, Gonzaga. So, you know, we knew we had a tough stretch going in, but, you know, we kind of used that tournament to see where we are and, we just wanted to build off of it. Speaking of building off of it, how has this team and this program gained momentum from the run you guys had in the bubble last NCAA tournament? I mean, you know, obviously it was it was a great year for us. Uh, didn't end how we wanted it to, but you know, we turned a lot of heads. We kind of kind of showed a lot of people who we are as a program, and obviously, Coach O's and the rest of the coaching staff do a great job, you know, preparing us. And you know, we got a lot of guys who are bought into the culture, and you know, we just take that momentum keep building on the culture and, you know, try and play really good basketball. So it was quite a Saturday uh, for Alabama against the Bulldogs. Uh, earlier, obviously, with the SEC championship in football over Georgia. Then you guys beat Gonzaga later at night. W- what was the mood like on campus when you got back after everything to the highest profile programs and what they achieved on Saturday? We can't attest to what the campus was like since we got back at 5 a.m. due to, you know, our travel. But, you know, from what we've seen on our phones and stuff, you know, the buzz was crazy you know, in Tuscaloosa. You know, it was great to see our football team go out there and get that win. You know, both of us came in as underdogs. And, you know, I feel like it was a great day to be a Tide fan. And a bad day to be a Bulldog going against a Tide team, that's for sure. Uh, This backcourt, you know, led by especially you and Javon, uh, what makes it so difficult to try to defend you guys? We have four different perimeter guys that do kind of everything. You know, we got myself, uh, Javon, JD, and Keon Ellis. You know, we all kind of do different things, you know, Keon being an elite defender along with score, um, you know, JD's, you know, he's explosive, pretty much seeing what he's capable of, you know, Saturday against Gonzaga and obviously JQ, you know, he's an elite playmaker, score, all the above. So, you know, we kind of just play off each other. You know, we've been battling since we first got on campus together and I feel like, you know, we just, we just gel so well off the court that it obviously helps us on the court and, you know, we just try and make each other better each and every day and obviously it pays off on the court. How about on the front court? I mean, because that was where Gonzaga had the advantage, but they weren't able to use it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we did a good job. You know, they got us in foul trouble. Most of our fours and fives were in a little foul trouble throughout the whole game. Um, luckily, we didn't have anybody foul out, but, 
I feel like, you know, Charles stepped up to the challenge along with uh, Darius Miles and Noah Gurley and obviously Juwan Gary. But, you know, Chuck had six blocks for us. And I feel like that was huge. He had two big ones late in the second half that kind of get us going. So, I mean, it was big for us. You know, I'm happy for our guys. And, you know, our front court guys battled knowing that it was going to be a battle for them for sure. So, I know you guys have been locked in. And just one last thing I want to just get your thoughts on. Uh, the SEC, in my opinion, has been the best conference so far one month into the season. It's been the deepest, the most teams ranked. You haven't gotten there yet. That'll be later this month and then obviously into January. But what's your anticipation of what the league will be like uh, once you get into it? The league is deep, man. There's a lot of good teams this year. Um, you know, we're obviously looking forward to SEC play. There's going to be a lot of new challenges that we're going to see this year going through going through that stretch. So, you know, we got through the majority of SEC play undefeated. So, you know, obviously we're trying to live up to those expectations again. But, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be way tougher this year because I feel like the conference kind of got better with the year. So, um, you know, it's going, to be, it's going to be fun for us. And, you know, we're looking forward to it. Well, Jaden, I appreciate it. Congratulations on a great win. Our National Player of the Week here at March Madness, and I know more to come from Alabama and you uh, throughout the course of the season. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, Andy. All right, that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. As always, I want to thank our producer, Abby Stoltz, our entire team from Warner Media, Turner Sports, Bleacher Report, NCAA.com, everyone that helps put this podcast together, all the engagement we get. We appreciate you listening, downloading, and letting us know what you want to hear and who you want to hear it from. We will continue to engage with you, the fan, throughout the course of this season as we pick up the pace. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good holiday.